With that, let's pray, and we'll get into our text. Uh, Mark chapter 7, the first 13 verses here. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Mark and, uh, Lord, for the story that is unfolding uh, before our eyes. Uh, things are beginning to change in the story. Uh, Jesus' popularity is going to start coming under attack, and he's going to push back and, and challenge uh, the, the, the customs and the culture and traditions that, uh, that trump the word of God. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to transport ourselves back some 2,000 years into a, a, a culture that is foreign to our own. Uh, Lord, it's, it's, it can be difficult for us to understand the, the nuances of this passage and, and what they were going through. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to understand uh, what they went through. And, Lord, that we would be able to draw principles into our own life and our, our own walk with you. We ask that you would help us to, to see the scriptures clearly and that we would live our lives according to them not adding to them or taking from them. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, uh, that you've given us your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you here today, to, to study your scriptures, to fellowship with one another. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. And had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of, commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We ask that you would guide us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so all week, I don't even think I need to tell you who says what I'm about to say, but I've had this sort of uh, quote in my mind all week, and I'll, you guys will even be able to help me finish off the end here. A fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, no? But here in our little village of Antevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof, 
trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You, you may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? Well, we stay in Antevka because it is our home. And how do we keep our balance? I can tell you in one word. You, what's the one word? Tradition. tradition. All right. Now we're going to sing the rest. Oh, no, traditions. <laughs> traditions. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. And, and so many of us love that movie. It's one of my favorites. I know it. I think it's Karen's actual favorite play. And, and uh, it's, it's, it does such a great job of sort of uh, sharing a, a segment of, of Jewish culture and history and the, the traditions that, that kept them going and alive really to this day. Um, today is one of these passages that's difficult for us to understand. We're all Gentile. I mean, I must, most of us are Gentiles. Um, we didn't grow up in Israel. We didn't grow up under the traditions, under the Mosaic law. And, and so it's really difficult for us to understand what's happening in this, this passage. But, but what's happening in this passage is, is extremely critical because the issue at hand is the sufficiency of the scriptures. This is what Jesus is battling with, is the sufficiency of the scriptures. And traditions have crept in. Some maybe crept in for good reasons. Some maybe not for good reasons. But now the traditions have equal standing with the scriptures. And Jesus is kind of showing them their hypocrisy that they can't stand on equal ground. One will trump the other. And his case that he's making is that the scriptures are the authority. And, and so we come to this passage. I'll do our best to try to help us uh, to understand what's being said and what's going on here. And I was wondering, my sticky there? Sorry, you guys are getting some of my thoughts bleeding out. Um, but, but so let's work through this passage. Um, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, that's Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem. So let's just kind of stop here. The map behind me, the lower circle is Jerusalem. The top circle is Capernaum. That's as a, a, a crow would fly. Um, it's about a 100-mile separation. Jerusalem is the headquarters. Uh, the big guns have come to investigate what Jesus has been doing and what all the hubbub is about him. And the reality is... Um, this is a continuation. We haven't heard from these guys since chapter 3. So if you want to turn back to chapter 3, verse 6, or just listen to me, it doesn't really matter. It's, uh, in, in verse 6, the last time we heard from them, they had been on the attack against Jesus concerning the Sabbath and the Sabbath laws and, and the things that Jesus was doing and his disciples on the Sabbath were things that the, the, the elders had deemed were inappropriate on Saturday. And they turned this idea of the Sabbath, the thing that God had given to be a blessing to the people, and they had turned it into this heavy burden and weight that nobody could maintain. And Jesus kept exposing them for their hypocrisy. They're cutting against the word of God and what God had actually intended. And in verse 6 of chapter 3, the last thing we read about the Pharisees is the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians. This these are strange bedfellows. They hated one another. So the fact that they now have this common enemy, they're working together for the purpose 
for, uh, with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So now they want to take Jesus out of the picture. And so now, a few chapters later, they show up again. So this isn't, just a, this isn't a friendly interaction. And so we read some the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem, and they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands that is unwashed. And so... Um, I'm not sure which way to, let's start with the impure hands, you know, we, I, I'm a boy, <laughs> boys have different standards of cleanliness, we have two little boys in our room and I know that we uh, have a five second rule that's kind of a rough definition of what's appropriate to eat or not to eat, um, I'm feeling actually a little topsy-turvy today and I'm realizing I might have given myself a sermon illustration uh, spinach is one of these foods that goes bad quick. And I remember last night grabbing a, a big old handful of it and going, is that mold? Eh, it's probably just a little mist. <laughs> Throw it in, eat it. I've been feeling funny today, and I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> and uh, where was I? <laughs> Impure hands. You know, we're, we're told to wash your hands, to, you know, we're told, I believe in it, mostly. And, and, uh, um, and so we, re, we, we come to this, and they see, oh, man, these guys have a bunch of unwashed hands. You're like, oh, man, what's going on here? Um, it says some of his disciples. So we, we don't know if this was of the disciples that were there, some of them were doing this, or if there were some of them with Jesus and all of them weren't doing it. We don't really know. It's, 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 it's. Hard to say, um, but we're reading this, I led you down a path as a Gentile, which Mark's audience is a Gentile audience, so they wouldn't know about impure, unwashed hands, like we're all thinking hygiene, and so Mark then in verses 3 and 4 has to do a little, hey guys, you're all a bunch of pagans, you know, you don't know what, what our culture is all about, so let me explain to you what I'm talking about. And so in verses 3 and 4, it, most, most translations, I think, have actual parent, parent parentheses around this parenthetical statement, giving us an explanation of what's going on to help us understand the context. And so we read there, he's giving us this for our benefit. If this was the Gospel of Matthew, there would be no explanation because Matthew is writing to Jews. Jews would understand everything that's happening. But Mark's audience is not Jews. And so we have no clue. Um, best we have is watching Fiddler on the Roof, you know? And I don't think there was anything about washing of the hands. For the Pharisees, and I want you to notice, and all the Jews. So, so this isn't, like, the Pharisees aren't the bad guys. The, the Pharisees were very well-respected leaders of the Jewish people. These are these are the blue-collar guys. They're conservative. Um, they believe in the miracles of the Scripture. They believe in the resurrection. They, 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 they believe in the things that Jesus taught and believed for the most part. And, and so they're not the bad guys. And then we read all of the Jews. And if you, we're not going to go into it today, but if you want a little fascinating study on your own sort of grappling with 
how did Christianity and like, see, we know Christianity as being totally distinct from Judaism, but the reality is, is we are Judaism, sort of a, a sect of Judaism. And if you read through Acts and you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and, and the others, you'll see that they were still very much keeping Jewish culture and traditions and, and wrestling with how they fit together, especially in Acts 15 when we see the Jerusalem Council of, hey, all of these Gentiles are coming to faith. How do we handle them? What things do we put on them from the Jewish faith? And so Mark points out for the Pharisees and all the Jews, it's not just the Pharisees, all of them, the, the way they live their life, they did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands. Now, I'm sure there's, a, there's something in the Old Testament about ceremonial cleansing. And then when you go into the Talmud and the teachings on the Old Testament text, and you have a variety of rabbis and teachers these guys have it laid out to like the drop of water. Um, I didn't write it down, I, I, but, but it's like one of the guys is like, okay, you take a cup of water. You begin to pour the cup in the one hand, and the water must run down as far as the elbow, and then you're to put it in the other hand, and that water must run down to the elbow, and I, like do some jumping jacks. I don't like there was a whole bunch of stuff along the way that they were to do, and they were to continue doing throughout the process. So back to verse 3. So they carefully washed their hands, thus observing, uh, if you highlight in your Bibles, if you make mark, the tradition of the elders. So this is a phrase that's going to play in today's text. Jesus is being challenged by the tradition of the elders. He's not being challenged by the Scriptures. And Jesus is going to push back and say the scriptures are the authority, not the traditions. And he said, and when they, verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they cleanse themselves. We're not talking about hygiene. And there are many other things which he doesn't even begin to go into, which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers, and copper pots. He's like, there's tradition for everything. And they have elevated it to the level of Scripture to where if you didn't obey these things that were excessively tacked on to, to what the Scriptures had laid out, then you were sinful, you were unclean, you were uh, pushed out from the community. Henry Ironside says this concerning the washing of hands. He says, this, this ceremony, ref, this refers, I, gotta, I have it written different here, so I'm trying to like, Henry Ironside refers to the ceremony akin to a baptism ceremony of the hands prior to and during each meal. And so this is just out of control. And so now we're back in the story. Verse 5, picking up from verse 2. The, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, that's Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? There's that phrase again. But they eat their bread with impure hands. And so the question, just I'm going to keep hammering it home. It's not, it's not about hygiene. It's not about me with a spinach last night going, huh? Ah. 
I wipe it away fast enough, it wasn't mold. That would be unhygienic. So you guys, you guys want some salad? I brought some salad. You guys want some? Um, uh, their, their question is about the traditions. Their, their, their question is about the way we've always done things and the, and the things that we do. You're not, you guys aren't doing it. And, and why aren't they doing this? Because they're building a case because they want to have Jesus arrested. They want to have him executed. Um, and this can be a very difficult thing for us to see. Now, I was, I was raised in a church where tradition was very important. This week we did a little field trip and we went up to one of the other places. And I don't want to... Every background has traditions. And... Um, I, I don't want to pick on the one tradition just that I ran, raised, was raised in it, but at the same time, it's what I was raised in, and it's the traditions that I know. And it's always fun, fun walking into the, the place where I grew up with people that don't have a clue about, like, hey, you're, not, you're supposed to dunk and don't, like, kids, don't drink that water next to the door. That's not what that's there <laughs> for. Don't do these things. Like, there's things that the outsiders don't have a clue about that, that are just second nature. And... And for me, coming to faith with these two worlds combined where, where the authority of the church carried the weight of the scripture, and we were never told that they subjected each other to one another, but the reality is, is that there, there is the tradition would trump scripture. And so that's as close as I can come in my background to understanding what they're going through here. And so Jesus responds in verse 6. He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. If he stopped there, it might be okay. Like, Isaiah made a lot of prophecies. Israel was very much included in the prophecies. And then he uses the word hypocrites. <laughs> that, that's the, uh, so hypocrite, this is the mask that they would wear for acting. Often in a play when they had their big, you know, Broadway comes to Jerusalem and, and it would be literally like one or two guys on the stage, but there'd be like 10 different characters and they would just have different masks and they would go back and forth. And, and so hypocrite carried this, this idea of you had a face that represented one thing, but then you were actually another person and you could sort of just play the part externally. Um, and he's, he's, he, he turns, notice that Jesus, where he goes in dealing with them, he doesn't go to traditions. He goes to scripture. And so he says, Isaiah spoke of you guys. He prophesied about y'all. And he's going to turn to Isaiah or he's going to quote from Isaiah 29 verse 13. And he pulls no punches or he holds no, pulls no punches. I said, it right? Challenges them as hypocrites. And so then what he says, uh, but from Isaiah, he says, as it is written... In the scriptures, what was prophesied about you all, this is what Isaiah says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. That they were giving God lip service, they were going through the motions, they had their faces on, kind of playing the part, but their, their faith, their relationship with God, it was skin deep, it was totally external. Uh, this is... Uh, the Eddie Haskell of Christianity or Judaism. You know, they get around mom, they go, oh, he's the sweetest boy. But in reality, that's not at all who he was. The, 
This people honors me with their lips, but in their heart is far from me. And we do this. this is, we, don't, we don't need to have a whole lot of tradition to get this. This is, this is, this is alive and well within, quote-unquote, Christianity. Every Sunday, churches are filled with people who aren't really given to the Lord, who, who don't really know the Lord, and they're playing this part. He goes on to say, but in vain do they worship me. They're going through all of the motions, but there's no worship happening. Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So what Isaiah is saying is man has come up with a bunch of stuff that's not in the scriptures, and they're teaching these precepts as if it was the actual word of God. And it's ugly. It is not pretty. The thing that all, all week going through this, in addition to Fiddler on the Roof, the other image that I have is, is that parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18, I think it's, what is it, verses 9 through 14, and he tells this, this parable about the Pharisees who go into the temple, they stand front and center, and they, they lift their you know, head up to face up to heaven, and they pound their chest, and they thank God I'm not like all of these other guys, these tax collectors and hypocrites. I tithe to you. I do such and such. And I all, they go through all of the list about how wonderful they are. And then Jesus says, you know, outside of the temple, there's this tax collector who's got tears in his eyes. He can't even look up because he's so ashamed and broken. And his prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me. Jesus looks at him and says, which one of these guys walked away justified? And they're thinking, of course, it's the Pharisees. But Jesus said that tax collector is the one who walked away justified because from within him, he was repentant. From within him, there was sorrow. From within him, he was truly worshiping me and understanding how sinful he was, why the Pharisee had totally missed the point. You know, Paul the Apostle, the the, the big revelation that he had is that he was actually a sinner. Uh, we kind of laugh, like it's hard for me to, like I've never been in a place in my life where I've gone longer than, I don't know, maybe a minute where I think I'm good. <laughs> like, and I was probably asleep on like heavy medication where the dreams weren't working. And, but Paul was like, according to the law, I was blameless. I held all the, the traditions. I did everything. I thought I was without sin. But on that road to Damascus, when the Lord appeared to me, suddenly I knew that my standard was way, way broken. And I was a dreadfully sinful man dressed in religious clothing. And his life was forever changed. I mean, and so here Jesus is, 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 is condemning them for elevating their traditions over the word of God. But he's not done. Verse 8 Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Um, He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You can't do both. You You can't maintain these traditions of men while also honoring God. And I can see these Pharisees like shaking their head, pointing their finger at him. You're messed up, Jesus. We're going to take care of you. How dare you? Don't you know we're the guys from Jerusalem? Don't you know that we're the leaders of, of, of the, the Jewish movement? And you have the audacity to stand here with your band of little renegades, 
fisherman, tax collector, uh, the other guy who I'm blanking on the word, the, re- the rebel, the, the um, taxed enough already guy. <laughs> what? Zealot. That's the word I was looking for. Zealot. And they're looking at, they're, they're, they're just sort of, and Jesus is like, I'm not done. You, you guys think you're not doing this? Well, let me give you an example. I'll just give you one example. There's hundreds I can choose from, but let's, let's go to one. Let's go to a simple softball. Verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, chapter 20 verse 12. And then he says, a few verses later from Exodus chapter 21 verse 17, he says, he who speaks evil a father or mother is to be put to death. They're shaking their heads. We don't do this. We don't do this. He goes, okay, let's, let's, the Ten Commandments. These are, these are the easy ones of the faith. Honor your father and mother. And they'd all sit there and go, we love our moms and dads and we love all this stuff. <laughs> the, the, the bunch of kids are all happy in here going, I'm so, thank God we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know that they... But, but the severity of honoring your mother and father, which I do think bleeds over into the New Testament, and there's other verses, but that wasn't my intention here. He says, but if you speak evil of your parents, the, the command is that you're to, be put, you're to put them to death. I thought I was going to get a hallelujah from a parent or something. You know? <laughs> it's like the, but, but the point is that God's command is clear. And I think that the Pharisees at this point would be like, we do that. We believe in that. We have no hypocrisy. We don't have a, uh, we don't have a commandment that trumps that. Verse 11, but I say to you. Oh, wait a minute. I, I think I went one page too many. No, I didn't. I was, I was perfect. Okay. Um, But I say to you, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin. So we have another parable, uh, the parenthetical statement here, because we're Gentiles and we're like, Corbin, what's that? Like, I think of, like, there's a lot of things I think of that I have no idea what this is. But, But so what are you saying? He said, okay, so there's a kid. Let's just, before we explain what Corbin is, there's a, there's a child, adult child, and his mother or father have there's some sort of physical need or financial need or something that they have that that actually could help them. But the actual thing that they have that could help them, they can't they can't use it because it's Corbin. And so then the question is like, what is Corbin? Now Mark knows he's speaking to Gentiles, and so he explains it to us in part. He says that is to say given to God. So there's been this sort of, this item that they have or items or whatever they have, um, it's consecrated to God and can't be used for other people. Um, I'll, I'll give a longer de- definition from Life Application Commentary, um, but, but the idea is, is that an individual could write a, a trust to themselves, to their stuff that's, a, that's you know, we're used to like revocable this would be like irrevocable trust of all your stuff 
so that when you die, it goes to God. Now, you have the freedom to use it while you're alive, but you can't give it away. You can't let others use it. It can't go to others because it's been consecrated to God at your death to go to the temple to be used by the priests. <clears throat> That's kind of Corbin. The Life Application Bible Commentary expands on what I said by this. The practice of the tradition of Corbin, literally offering, meant that a person could dedicate money or property for God's exclusive use. When this happened, the money would be reserved for sacred use and withdrawn from use by anyone else. But the benefits could be used by the donor, much like an irrevocable trust works today. The vow was grossly misused. A man, a man could use an article vowed to God indefinitely, but could not transfer it to anyone else. Unscrupulous people would even use this vow to keep from paying debts. Others, as Jesus noted, used it to circumvent their responsibility to their parents. Their devotion to God had stripped them of their compassion for people. So the most obvious thing here is Corbin, God nowhere tells us to do this. Nowhere is there in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament any example where God says you should do this. Logically, the elders, the tradition of the elders was sort of promoted by who? Scribes and the Pharisees. You might wonder who would benefit from this thing, Corbin. Do I even need to answer that? Like, they, like these guys were billionaires in today's standard by the money that they were raking. And all of these people, as they were dying, the stuff was going to them. And it gave them this, this spiritually minded loophole so that their parents, mom and dad, could be suffering on the side with all they need is what you have. But the kid can say, like, it's too bad. I've already dedicated that to God. I'd love to help you, mom and dad, but I, you know, this whatever it is, I I'm going to use it for my own benefit. Sorry, I really am sorry. <laughs> you know, like yeah, right. Jesus is going like this is right jugular vein, right at their traditions, which started from washing their like their hands. This like. Verse 13, he continues, and he says, thus invalidating the word of God. This is the crux of this. This is what this whole passage is about, invalidating the word of God. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. This isn't an isolated thing. They had hundreds, if not thousands of ways that they could sidestep the clear commands of the Scripture for, for the sake of making the Pharisees and scribes and the, the traditions of, of the religious leaders satisfied. And Jesus says it's not right. Spurgeon on this passage says that they were agitated about hands unwashed, and yet they laid their foul hands upon God's most holy law. And it's a shame that there are so many that are religious leaders and uh, denominations that will start with the word of God, use it to their benefit, and then 
then essentially create something else on the side that becomes the authority. And then often that authority on the side then becomes a means for their benefit. It's, it's, danger, it's dangerous. It happens all around us. And I, and I know that we're not a, like, I don't think that we're a religious bunch here in the, in the sense of traditions. I mean, I'm standing before you in a, in a shirt with dinosaurs on it to match my sons today. Um, we've, we've had visitors from more, uh, I'm trying to phrase the right word, uh, I don't like the word conservative because we're as conservative as can be with the scriptures. Um, traditional circles, and they walk into our building and they're like, where's the stuff? Like, what stuff are you talking about? You know, like the, the stuff. And, and uh, like I, some of this I got to say, like, oh, just wait till you see our pastor. You're not going to get the, you're going to get the word. Um, now, well, we don't have traditions, as I just, I've just been like brainstorming, like what are, what are ways that this uh, occurs? Um, how do we religiously add or take away from the scriptures? I, I know that my coming to faith in Christ, one of the perceived barriers that I had probably from my childhood um, is I know that I told my buddy that was asking me to go to church that I didn't want to go because they just cared about what I looked like, how I dressed, and that sort of thing. And, and my friend said, no, that's not, not the church I'm inviting you to. And I remember going, okay, well, I'm going to wear shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. And he's like, that's fine. The guy's an ex-pro surfer. He'll be barefoot. I was like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I should have pushed back more. Like, I should have, like, come up with some more to see where the line was. But it was the first time in my life going into a church building and the people, I sensed that they cared about me, the guys underneath the old t-shirt and flip-flops. And it was power. I'd never experienced that before. Now that I've grown in Christian circles, I see sometimes the translation of the Bible that you choose to read out of. That can be a stumbling block for some, that if you... Uh, you, you know, uh, of course, I have the one joke that I have, like that I hear, and I, I don't want to, you know, I say this, I, lo- I love the NIV translation, but I've heard those in the King James, like, the nearly inspired translation, you know, it's like, and, and I'm making light because I want us to, you know, but sometimes the translation of the Bible could be something that we build up wall, and I read out of this translation because it's holier, it's stuffier, it's harder to understand, like, and you read out of that translation, and so I look down on you. Well, that's, like, the more I study, the more I look, like, the, the whole, like, those guys with thick glasses that, like, know about verbs and tenses and stuff, like, they work very hard to produce translations of the Bible so that the Word of God is acceptable to us. I mean, I, I go, like, think of Luther, like, going back to the Reformation, like, I have family members that would sit through Mass in Latin, and they don't speak Latin because that was the way it was supposed to be done. Our worship style, 
Now today we sing some hymns because Isaac was leading, thankfully, like his dad and mom were on uh, celebrating their anniversary and he's leading from the piano. So it's like, well, let's choose songs that are easier to lead from the piano and some of them are hymns. So some of you might have walked in here to go, this church is a church that honors the hymns. Other you might have walked in and go, I can't believe this church sings old stuffy hymns. Like they're not, (laughs) the people that stand on hymns, it's like, if you read the history of the hymns, which all kind of really go back to the 16, 15, 15, 1600s, it doesn't go back to Jesus. And a lot of them were done to the melody of the, the drinking music in the bars. Like if you really start doing some digging, how do you view alcohol consumption? I'll never forget when I first came to this church and I was invited to somebody's birthday party, like an older person's birthday party, like not a minor, <laughs> and just to be clear, and there were people from all segments of the church there, but then there was a cooler of beers, <laughs> and a handful of people had beers, I'm like, going, I wonder if I'm going to hear about this on Monday or whatever day. Half the leaders in the church are drinking a beer, and the other half are not. Never heard anything about it, praise God, that it was like the issue is drunkenness, right? Like a, and, and there's a case, like, uh, like there, there's, a, there's a, a case. But so often we have convictions for one side, and then we suddenly go to the extreme and say, well, Jesus didn't turn water into wine, he turned water into grape juice to try to get away from like the, te- like, and it's, it's dangerous. Smoking, what you do for entertainment, they, like, like there are, there are matters of conscience and preference where there's freedom in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about stuff where the scripture like is like overtly clear, like don't do that. But then when we take our convictions and our preferences and then we solidify them as of law, and then we begin to project them on other people, it's really dangerous territory. And it's never easy to see when you're the one doing it. It's always easier to, to see in another person, but you can never see it in yourself, and that's probably the most dangerous thing. Um, when I go beyond religious sort of things, I, began to, I begin to think about, what if Jesus was transported into the United States and that we were to go through this thing, and, and, and what I feel, probably that some Americans would, that Jesus would probably say some things to offend some people in this church, is as we look at our nationalistic culture in light of Scripture, what would Jesus have to say about that? Um, sanctity human life. Oh, it's just a choice. Well, what does the Bible say? Um, how how we, we use our wealth. The poorest people in America are the wealthiest 1% of humanity in human history. And Jesus talks a lot about wealth. To who much is given, much is required, and there'll be much, we'll be very, we're going to give an account for the stuff we have. Uh, our, our freedoms. There's a lot of things that we, and I'm, I'm saying, like, like I'm not just saying this as like some guy, like I'm saying this as a guy who's lost a lot of guys and buddies in the war. I, I served in the military for 12 years. I came to Christ in the military. 
and God sort of like challenging me in my development of the faith to come to the the reality that the United States isn't mentioned in the scriptures. <laughs> Being a Christian doesn't mean that you are a, a, a Republican voting, like, that doesn't necessarily equal Christianity. Like, you can be a Republican and be a Christian. That's great. But there are many things that we do nationalistically that we elevate or trump the scriptures with, if we're honest with ourselves. When we look to sexuality, like I've had couples that were Christian living together, coming to me to criticize others that were smoking. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Like, are you, like, I've gotten really good as a pastor of keeping a straight face. <laughs> well, let's talk about this. You know, like, what is it about their smoking? What verse do you go to for the... Like, we do this all the time. We, we do this all the time. And so the ultimate issue is like, the, the one side of the coin is negating the, the word of God. And, and so how, how do we do things in our life or what things do we do that negate the word of God? Uh, so the word of God can say, this is what marriage is, for example. But we say, in our culture, it's just not really politically correct to talk that aggressively. And so while I agree with this scripture, I'm going to kind of step away from that one and say, that part I don't agree with, but the other parts I do agree with. That, that would be a way to negate it. And we do this with all sorts of things. Um, we also add to the word of God. The word of God says... Uh, just an example, like I'm, trying, I'm searching through my brain where it has like way too many files and little balls spinning really slow right now. Um, like there's a verse in Proverbs somewhere about not being uh, like, a, like not going into debt. And so then you have really strong convictions about not going into debt. And so along the process, you stop using a credit card and then you go down the road a little bit further, and then suddenly credit cards are evil. And so you have a brother in Christ who has a credit card who pays, pays it off like daily, and he's never ca- carrying a balance, and he's just using the credit card as cash. And then you look at that brother and say, well, he's in sin. Because the Bible, like, so you've taken the scripture, you've added to it, and you, like for your own conviction, and then you start projecting it on others. That, that would be adding to the word of God. I would also like to address those that are maybe here who have been hurt by religious people. I can't tell you how many people I've met and I've been one of them who you may have a very Godward heart and you could have been searching for God and in your journey of trying to find out who Christ is, you encountered the Pharisee, the modern-day Pharisee, that tried to strap all of this religious stuff on you that is not in the Scriptures, and you have come to the, the opinion that if you want to honor God, you've got to do all the stuff that's not even in the Scriptures. 
And so now you have this caricature, if that's how you say the word, this false image, it's an easier word for me to say, than, than the Jesus of the Bible. You, you have this thing that the religious people have said to you or done in the name of Jesus that Jesus never said or did. But you carry the, the, the hurt and the baggage over it. This was like terribly difficult for me coming to Christ and learning, like how does the Christianity work? And I, and I know I'm probably dating myself, but at the time, the best image of Christianity that I had early on was Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, who was Homer's next door neighbor, that Hollywood portrayed that that's what a Christian looked like. And so I felt like that's what I needed to begin to look like. And so you try to do these things, but you're not getting your convictions from the word of God. You're getting your convictions from these false images of wherever they're coming from. And so if you've been hurt religiously, like I'd encourage you, like go to the scriptures, go to the word of God, see what Jesus actually really said. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's never going to hurt you because like the word of God cuts like, but let what he said and let what the word of God says cut you. Don't, don't add to it. Like there's plenty in there that will cut you and, and hurt you. But he's also gracious, and he heals us, and he's provided life to us. And so, um, so the point, when I look at this, I, like, I'll wrap up here. Jesus alone is a way to salvation. Jesus paid it all on the cross for you, for me. Every sin you could possibly think of, he absorbed it. We sang a hymn today, which I don't even, uh, in Christ alone I think of it, where there's that phrase, the wrath of God was satisfied. Do you realize that that hymn is under attack in modern day Christianity? The very thing I'm talking about, because that's offensive. And so they, there are some in the more liberal circles of Christianity who say, we're going to remove the line, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's a problem because the Bible tells us very clearly that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for our sin because our sin is vile. And it's not that your sin's worse than mine. All of our sin is vile. Like, it's bad. We're, we all are in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus said, I came, I did it. I sacrificed myself for you. All you have to do is believe. There's not a walking of the aisle. That's a work. There is a, a walking the aisle to baptism to publicly declare. That's, that's like the walking of the aisle. There's in your innermost being when you hear the gospel that you go, aha, he died for me. I believe. That's it. It's not plus anything. It's, it's why here at this church we prioritize the word of God. I tell you, if, if, if I, you know, it's 52 weeks in a year, if I was picking subjects to preach on, I would never come to this passage. Like, I would never come to this passage. And there's a whole lot of other passages I would never go to. I would, yeah, I'd stick to the Psalms, I'd stick to the easy ones, and we would just do those, like, do them over and over again. But I think that there's a good warning in this passage for us. It's about Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you. Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you.
for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your patience with us. Lord, it's easy for us to, to come to this passage and to look of, the, for me, the silliness of, of ritual cleansing of hands, not for hygienic reasons, just I'm sure they had a reason at some point of why they did that and why it became so important. And so instead of laughing at at the things that were, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see our own hearts and that we as a church, we as individuals would see areas that we, Lord, that we're just playing a game with you, that we are putting on our, our acting mask and putting on the externals of uh, trying to please you with a smile on our face, um, but our heart is rotten. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us that you would help us to examine our hearts. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and that in believing in him, we're told that we can be transformed into a new creature. And so, Father, I pray for those of us here that maybe have never come to faith in Christ that you would help help them to understand that it's about Christ alone. It's a gift. It's a supernatural legal transaction that happens at belief. And Father, for those of us that have accepted the gift, Lord, we confess our sin of um, it's so easy to become religious. It's so easy to give ourselves the checklist of things that we're to do and not to do. Uh, to, to make you happy. And so we pray, Father, that you would expose these areas in our life. Lord, help us to see where um, we've added to the word of God or where we've neglected the word of God. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people that truly bend our knee to you and subject ourselves to the word of God. May we grow in the knowledge of grace and truth. May we be a people that loves you and honors you and cares for the lost around us, for you died for each and every one. And so we love you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.